Good morning, everyone. Uh, we are glad to be here today. Isn't it great to know that there are so many talented people in our congregation? A lot of stuff goes on behind the scenes that you never realize. The hours and hours that go into preparing those stories. So let's give them a hand. They, they do a great job. Yep, thanks. So today we're going to be talking uh, along the same lines that we have been. Uh, love has been our theme. But today we're going to talk about what it means to love an unloving world. Would you agree we live in an unloving world? Look around. What do you see? Lots of struggles, lots of trouble, lots of conflict. I had a conversation with my neighbor over the back fence uh, a few weeks ago. It was about the time that the uh, uh, attacks and the murders occurred in Atlanta, uh, where those Asian uh, folks were killed in the spa there. And my neighbor said, uh, there are a lot of angry people in the world today. There's just so much anger. You can see it everywhere, can't you? And as I was thinking about that, there are lots of different kinds of angers. In fact, I made a list of a lot of different kinds of angers that we see in our world today. Um, for instance, you have political anger, racial anger, climate anger, virus anger, immunization anger, marital anger, isolation anger, employment anger, regulation anger, because of all the regulations that we have, right? Mask anger. Can you say amen? anger at the government, religious anger, road rage anger. It just seems like tempers are so short now, doesn't it? Doesn't take much to set people off. So we finished our conversation and as we were heading back to our houses, my neighbor called over her shoulder, spread the love, <laughs> spread the love. We all know the song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, right? That's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. Everybody in the world would agree with that song. I don't think you'd find anybody that would say, ah, that song's off base. However, if that's true, why don't we see it in the world? Why don't we see it when we look around? What we do see, we see little kids being shot or kids actually doing the shooting. All kinds of things like that go on all the time in our world. There's political fighting and lying. Censorship is rampant. Intolerance is at levels that we've never seen before. There are attempts to force people to believe the same things and have the same attitudes. I couldn't believe the other week I was watching uh, one of the uh, network news programs and the commentator was saying that if you don't agree, if people who don't agree with what I said, what should happen to them is they should go to re-education camp. I'm scratching my head thinking, are we in, I mean, communist China? Are we in Nazi Germany? It's a scary, scary thing. Not only that, I'm, you know, uh, we hear news of people being killed because they wore the wrong hat or they wore the wrong shoes. It's a scary time, but... I remember, I'm old enough to remember, and I know some of you are too, to remember a time that was just as scary, or even more scary. Back in 1968, April 4th, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Two months later, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Just a few months after that, at Kent State University, they were having demonstrations against the Vietnam War. 
Four students shot and killed by the Ohio National Guard. Nine injured. That one was especially close to me because just a couple of weeks after that happened, I was on Kent State University's campus at the spot where that happened. And I'm looking at this area that's so nice and clean and, and I just can't imagine that something like that would have happened there. It was a scary, scary time. Just a couple of months after that, on the University of Wisconsin, the science building was blown up. They did such a good job of that, 26 other buildings were damaged by the blast. The night before that happened, they burned down the ROTC building on campus. It was a scary, scary time. People were burning the American flag. But the song that was real popular then was this one. Come on, people, now smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. The juxtaposition of the events of the world and the thoughts in our minds was just, it was scary. And then God did something. The Jesus movement happened. Thousands and thousands of young people turning to Christ, giving their lives, having a, a, a change. I remember a couple of uh, revivals on some campuses, university campuses, and I, and I talked to some of the kids who were involved in them. God did something. Is he going to do that again in this scary time? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he will. I don't know what the answer is there. But I ask the question again, if everybody agrees that what the world needs is love, sweet love, why don't we see it in the world? I think the answer may be in our concept of love. You've all heard these two phrases. The one phrase, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Or how about this one, follow your heart. That's our concept of love in our culture, isn't it? Follow your heart. It'll lead you to the right place. It'll, it'll make you love. And that's the way you find the love of your life, right? Follow your heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. It's like it's an irresistible force that you can't resist. And if you don't follow it, then you're going to miss out on the happiness. And you're not going to find the love of your life. You're not going to enjoy life like you could if you had followed your heart. Well, I got news for you. The Bible says that's a lie. In fact, the Bible actually shows us what happens when you follow your heart. The passage we're going to look at today is found in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, the last three verses of the, of the chapter, which is uh, verses 24 to 26. But the very next verse in chapter 3, beginning in verse 3 in the first few verses, describes for us what happens when people follow their hearts. It says this, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Boy, oh boy, isn't that what you see nowadays especially? You give people what they want and they're still not happy. They want more. They want something different. Unappeasable. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's what happens when we follow our hearts. But the Bible gives us an alternative. The alternative is found in Proverbs 23:19, where it says, Hear, my son, and be wise, be wise, 
and direct your heart in the way. Don't follow your heart, direct your heart. You have to point your heart in the right direction and cause it to go where it needs to go. That's the only way we're gonna truly love. Otherwise, we end up satisfying ourselves. Well, in the middle of all this, Jesus says to us in Luke 6, 27 to 28, I tell you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Let me tell you this. Your heart will never lead you to do that. You have to direct your heart to love your enemies. It doesn't come naturally. And unless we direct our hearts, we're never going to fulfill what Jesus tells us to do here. So, let me ask you this. What does it mean for us today? All this talk about love and, you know, uh, you know uh, loving your enemies and things like that. So what does that mean you actually do and say if you're in a school board meeting and people start berating you? How do you respond to that? What do you do if you're in a restaurant like we've seen on TV and people come up to you and they say, we don't want you here, we don't want you here, and they just take some of your food and eat it and, and they're nasty to you that way? How do you respond to that? What do you do? Or, or maybe they'll just berate you or belittle you because of your faith or something that you believe or an opinion that you have. How do you respond to that? You know, you've got to direct your heart in that instance or you will respond in anger and hatred, resentment, or maybe even withdraw and just stay out of it completely. What do you direct your heart to do? The answer to that is found in the passage that we're going to look at here in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I put in your main idea, God calls us to love an unloving world. And that unloving world is often offensive. It's often something that is hard to take. But that's the world we live in. God calls us to love that. Now, before we look at this, I think we need to pray and ask God to do a couple of things for us. Let me ask God, first of all, Lord, would you give us understanding of what we're supposed to do? What you say is the best approach. But then, Lord, secondly, we need the motivation, the filling of your spirit, and the power to do it. Without your power, we can never do what you tell us to do here. So, God, help us empty ourselves of us and fill us with your spirit, with you and your power. So, would you please do both for us today as we look at these verses in Timothy? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul is telling us, he's actually writing to Timothy, but he's telling us that we need to love an unloving world. And he's going to answer two questions for us. Number one, how do you do that? And number two, he's going to tell us why we do that. So let's look at the how first, beginning in verse 24. It says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. This passage was written to a man named Timothy, a young man who was a leader in the church. And I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of the words we just read are, sa are the same words that the Apostle Paul used in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, gentleness, uh, kindness, um, patience, enduring evil. Um, 
All of these words are part of the great literary passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. Even non-Christians know that passage. He uses those same words here, but in a whole different context. This context is a context of conflict because Timothy was experienced conflict in the church and out of the church, in the culture around him. It was very much like today. So there's a lot of conflict. And these words, have a look. they look very different in that kind of a situation. So that's what we want to look at. So what I want to do now is just look at each of these phrases very briefly. We don't have a lot of time to look at them, but I want to give us make sure we have an understanding of what they are. The first one here is the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Quarrelsome. Quarrelsome is talking about engaging in some kind of a conflict or a dispute to contend, to fight. Paul says to Timothy, don't do that. It's not the Lord's servant's job to win arguments. It's not the Lord's servant's job to squash the opposition. But in contrast, he says, be kind to everyone. Fred Heron is a man who wrote a book entitled Show Me God. Fred, for many, many years, has been interviewing and talking to scientists who don't believe, even atheist scientists. Over the years, he's found what the best approach is to try and speak with them and share Christ with them. Listen to how he says he does it. If I found any one thing to be key in getting through to skeptics today, this is it. Have an attitude of gentleness and respect toward unbelievers and their views. Put negatively, the greatest single turnoff for skeptics is the Christian who sets up an us-versus-them argument between Christianity and science. He's saying the very same thing that Timothy is saying. He's saying what Timothy's telling us to do works. Be kind to them. Realize who they are. In fact, it's very much similar to what Marty's sermon was last week. Remember his acronym, LOVE, L-O-V-E, the points of his sermon? What did the L stand for? Listen. Yeah, listen. Like James tells us, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do you remember Marty's V? What was the V? Value. That's what Fred is talking about here. Value them as people and their opinions. And that's what Timothy is saying. Be kind to them. Open your heart to them. So value them. The opposite happens when we don't do that. In fact, three weeks ago, I was talking to somebody right here in the front of the church. And I could tell this person was angry about Jesus. So I started questioning. Something must have happened. What happened? And soon the story came out. Someone had talked to him about Jesus in a nasty way, in an unloving way, and it turned him off from Jesus. They basically told him he's going to hell. That always works real well. Yeah. So Timothy is telling us, be kind. All right, the second thing he says is be able to teach. The word he uses there, teaching, is the word that we use for training up a child. So you might say, I don't have the gift of teaching. I really will have trouble doing that. Well, let me suggest to you there are lots of parents who don't have the gift of teaching, but they still teach their children by word, by just simply instructing, here's the right thing to do, and by example. 
So you can do this. Whether you have the gift or teaching or not, it doesn't matter. You can do this. The next phrase is patiently endure evil. Wow, this is a tough one because we don't like doing that. We don't, when there's an injustice done to you, doesn't your heart just cry out, that's not right? So what do you do about that? How do you handle that? Our old nature screams out, we can't, they can't do that to me. They can't get away with that. Well, a verse that uh, really has helped me in this, I'll share with you. Maybe it'll help you. It's a good verse to memorize. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. He sees it. And he knows, blessed are all those who wait for him. Don't take things into your own hands and force the issue. God sees. God knows. You cannot do this. You cannot patiently endure evil unless you have faith and confidence in the God who is sovereign, who sees all and is just and will make it right. And if you look at the history of when uh, Isaiah wrote that, you know Israel was being very badly mistreated. And he's telling them, wait, wait. God will make it right. Not long ago, my wife and I were watching a movie. I don't remember the name of it. I don't remember the character. I must be getting old. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I'll call the man John, the main character of this show. John had a lot of things go wrong. Uh, first, he lost his job through no fault of his own. Somebody else did something. He got blamed, and so he loses his job. It's not right. Uh, then, because he lost his job, he lost his house because he no longer had the money to pay the mortgage. Because he lost his house... It put a lot of pressure on his family, so his wife walked out on it. Now, John had a friend. This friend always used the phrase, God has a plan. So he loses his job. His friend says, God has a plan. Wife walks off, God has a plan. Guy was really annoying. Nobody likes that, right? But this guy also uh, would carry a cup wherever he went. He, he had a cup at the gym when he'd... He had a cup on the dash of his car, had a cup at work, cup at home. The cup was always with him. So finally John says to him one day, what's with the cup? He said, do you remember, and I, to my knowledge, this was not a Christian movie. I think it was just a secular movie. I don't remember. But he said, do you remember Jesus in the Bible when he was crucified? Yeah. Well, the night before he was crucified, he asked God to let this cup pass from him. And God said, three times he asked that, in fact. And God said, no, you have to drink it. So he said, so I carry this cup around with me. And when something bad happens to me, I take that cup and I just make like I'm drinking whatever's in it. And I drink it because God has a plan. God took care of Jesus, raised him from the dead. God has a plan. And I'm just going to go with it. And that's true. Uh, that's a very biblical statement. In fact, that happened to Jesus. If you look at, uh, uh, let's see, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, it says, When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. But uh, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Leave it with God. When we trust God in that way, 
it allows us to step back, to look at the situation from a bigger picture perspective and realize God is at work doing something. We may not know what it is, but he is at work. And when we trust him like that, he comes through and uses that testimony to the, to the lives of others who are watching. That's not normal. Uh, that's not the way our world would act. And they see that difference. And then the last phrase he uses in this passage is to correct with gentleness. Again, this word correct is the one that's uh, used of training a child up. It means to help them learn how to make appropriate choices and develop appropriate ways of living. But do it with gentleness. You know, we don't use the tactics of those in the world. They oppose us and they ridicule our faith and they're, they're vehement and uh, sometimes violent against it. Those aren't our tactics. It's not our arguments that win the lost unless the Lord works on the heart. Isn't that really what our world needs? A change of heart? God changes somebody's heart. It, it changes everything. Changes everything that they do and everything that they say. So to summarize here, the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy and us to be not quarrelsome but kind to all. To be able to teach to patiently endure evil, correcting those who oppose us with gentleness. Now, when we do that, he tells us in point number two what the result of that is, and this is why we do it. Verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, that's a description of people in the world that you don't think about a whole lot, but this is really true. Let me explain. Let's look at each phrase here, just like we did the other passage. Uh, first, he says, they may repent. So repentance is a change of direction. It's admitting I've been going the wrong way, and I'm going to change and go the right way. Do you know how hard that is for somebody to admit and for somebody to do? Here's why. Psalm 36, 1 and 2. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There's no fear of God before his eyes. Oh, watch this phrase. For in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. He's oblivious to it. People in the world can't even sense. They can't even detect when something's wrong. Because as we'll see in a minute, the devil has blinded them. So have a heart. Take mercy on them. It helps us back away and understand they're in trouble. It gives us a whole new love for them and a whole new way of approaching them. The second thing he says here is they may come to their senses. Literally means to become sober again. You see, Satan makes people drunk with his lies. People believe a lie in the world. There's a woman in our church who had a, some computer problems back when the election was going on. This was back in November, December time frame. So she called a computer repairman. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world back then. She calls a computer guy there, and as he's working on her computer, they're having a conversation. 
One of the things he said to her was, can you believe some of the weird and crazy ideas that people are believing nowadays? I can't believe that somebody would say, get rid of the police. Right? God spoke to her and said, and told her just to, you know, mention scripture to him. So she did. She said, well, the Bible tells us that... um, the Bible gives the answer as to why it's happening. It says that Satan blinds the minds of those who don't believe, that they might believe a lie. He said, that's in the Bible? She said, yeah. He said, well, what else is in the Bible? She started telling him some other things and kept going and going until finally she presented the gospel. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You put your faith in him, you're forgiven. You have life, new life in this life and eternal life. And God gives your vision a whole new perspective. To make a long story short, before that computer repairman left her house, he prayed in tears to receive Christ. And his eyes were opened. That's how God works. When we gently talk to people, We gently walk through the doors that God opens for us. And then the final uh, phrase that he says here in this passage is that they may escape from the devil's snare after being captured by him to do his will. A snare is a trap. The devil uses tricks and strategies to trap us. Escape from the devil's snare after being captured by him to do his will. A few weeks ago, I met a man named Frank who beautifully illustrates what God does. Frank, uh, by his own admission, says that he came from the other side of the tracks. In fact, the, the term that he used was way on the other side of the tracks. He was an imposing looking man tattoos all over his body, long, full beard, long hair, stocky build. You don't don't want to meet this guy in a dark alley. Let Let me just put it that way. Frank was a member of a motorcycle gang. Um, Frank was a drug dealer. Frank worked for the mafia. Frank had two girlfriends. He'd live with one half of the week and then he'd get on his motorcycle and ride to the other one and live with her the other half of the week. He had a couple of kids to that one. He was also a man of routine, and every week he would ride on his motorcycle from one girlfriend's house to the other. It was always on a Sunday morning about the same time. And he would pass through this small town, farming town in South Jersey, where there was a little church. And he'd pass by right about the time the church was just getting ready to start. And there was always a man standing outside the door. I guess a greeter or someone just to welcome people in. And Frank said, you know, as I drove past that church, I always had a warm feeling in my heart. I just didn't understand, but I was drawn to this church. So one day he said, I stopped and took some money out of my pocket. You know, he always had a lot of money in his pocket from his businesses. And he walked up to the man at the door. They struck up a conversation. And the man received him kindly. They spoke gently, had a nice conversation. And Frank pulled this money out of his pocket and said, Here, could could you see that the church gets this? Sure, I'd be glad to. Got back on his motorcycle and went to his girlfriend's house. A couple weeks in a row that happened. One week he came, talked to the same guy who's standing outside the door. 
And the man says to him, listen, instead of me taking the money, why don't you kind of like give it sort of directly to God? Just take it in and put it in the offering plate. So Frank did that. Put it in the offering plate, got back on his bike and rode off. The next week he came, talked to the man at the door again. The man said to him, listen, when you go in and put the money in the plate, sit down after you put the money in the plate. So he did. And that week, the gospel was preached, and Frank gave his heart to the Lord. He said, the joy I felt was unbelievable. Never, it's like the weight of the world was lifted off of me. God did such a wonderful thing in my life. I just had joy and peace and happiness, and it was just fabulous. But that's not the end of the story. Frank got up one morning. Oh, oh I got to tell you this. <laughs> he said, from that day on, he said, I never dealt any more drugs. I didn't have sex with my girlfriends. I, I, nothing. He goes, nobody told me not to do that. I had such joy and peace, I just knew I couldn't do this anymore. And he stopped. That's the Spirit of God changing somebody's heart, right? So one morning he gets up and he's very depressed. I said, why were you depressed? He said, uh, it suddenly occurred to me that all of my friends were headed for destruction because they didn't know Christ. I had to tell them. So he started witnessing to them all. Some of them said, like his one girlfriend said, don't come back here. Some of his other buddies, no, nah, we don't want anything to do with you. Some of them received Christ. His other girlfriend did trust Christ as Savior. They got married, and they're married today. And God also granted him the gift of evangelism. God, he can be walking down the street, and God will tell him, you see that person on the other side of the street? Go talk to him. Just tell him about me. And he'll go over there, and that person is just ready and ripe, and he will lead them to Christ. And sometimes, i got to tell you, this is, you talk about supernatural things happen. He's had miraculous healings. When somebody trusts Christ, doctor and tests proved somebody had a kidney problem, a liver problem, went back to the doctors, it's gone. The pain is gone. God has done an unbelievably miraculous thing in this person's life. What a beautiful thing here. God granted Frank repentance, which led to a knowledge of the truth. And Frank came to his senses and escaped from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. But that's still not the end of the story for Frank. A few weeks ago, Frank was ordained as a pastor in the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church and is now serving in South Jersey over near the shore as a minister of evangelism. God transforms people's lives. If we just open the door by doing what Timothy said, be gentle to people, show them love, realize they're blind, they can't see, they don't understand. It helps us to approach them in a way that allows God to do his work. So to summarize, God calls us to love an unloving world. How? By not being quarrelsome, by being kind to everyone, by teaching them, by patiently enduring evil, and by gently correcting those who oppose you. And when we do that, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their senses. They may see the truth and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him. 
Well, that's what Timothy has to say for us. But now I would like to, if you will allow me, to try and give you a mental picture that will help motivate us to follow through and actually live this out. A few weeks ago, my father-in-law, who's 93, wanted to go see the 9-11 site in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where Flight 93 crashed. So we took him out there. It was a very, very sobering experience. One of the things that you can do, they have uh, headphones that you can listen to the phone calls, the last phone calls those 40 passengers made to their family members where they said their goodbyes, I love yous. In fact, there's a warning label over it that children maybe shouldn't listen to this or anyone emotionally unstable because it is heartrending to hear what these people in their last moments of life, how they express their love to one another. Horrific, just horrific. I learned a number of things that I didn't know about Flight 93. It hit the ground going 567 miles an hour, made a pit 15 feet deep, was fully loaded with fuel because it was a cross-country trip, fully just blew up and burned a whole grove of elm trees that were near it. Most of the pieces of the plane that were left are that big. That's it. This was a big Boeing 757. That's all that's left. Sizes that big. There are a couple other pieces that are bigger, but a single man could carry them. But most of them are that size. Unbelievable. Yet in the middle of that, a book was saved. A book that they have in a glass case out there now from one of the passengers. The book was entitled, A Life of Integrity, by Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks was one of Marty's professors in Dallas Seminary. The man who owned that book was Todd Beamer. You remember that name? Let's Roll. Todd Beamer was a man who really loved God. He and his wife, Lisa, attended our sister church in Princeton, New Jersey. Many of you know that. You're aware of that. And they were highly active in that church. The book was a book they were studying in his men's group. Well, Todd loved his family. Todd loved God. Todd loved his brothers in Christ. And he loved doing what was right and loved to be with people who did what was right. And so I'm looking at all of these things and what came to my mind was a verse of scriptures. I'm thinking about all that they went through in Romans 12, verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. And there was a lot of evil on that day. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Another thing I didn't know about that plane was that it left Newark 40 minutes late because of the heavy air traffic. Had it not left late, it probably would have gone and actually plowed into the capital, killing who knows how many hundreds or thousands of people along with it. But because it was 40 minutes late, the people who were talking to their relatives on the ground from the airplane knew that other planes had already hit the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. They knew this was a suicide mission. The other planes didn't know that. This plane knew it. Now, you've got to understand, the protocol from the FAA 
and NORAD and the military was whenever there's a hijacking, you appease the hijackers in hopes that you can land the plane safely. But that doesn't work when there's a suicide mission. They're going to use the plane like a bomb. The people on that plane knew that. And so they took action. They decided they were going to attack the hijackers. Now that puts Todd in a hard spot, doesn't it? What did Jesus say? Love your enemies? What's he going to do? Didn't he love these hijackers? You might remember that before he said, let's roll, to the operator that he was talking to, he prayed the Lord's Prayer with that operator. Todd's wife, Lisa, after the fact, said, I wondered why he did that, because he, he would never do that. He never prayed the Lord's Prayer. Why did he pray the Lord's Prayer? And then it struck her. They had just finished a 12-week study on the Lord's Prayer in church. And the phrase that stood out the most to Todd was the phrase, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And his wife Lisa is convinced he prayed that prayer in forgiving the hijackers for what they were doing. What an amazing story. But now he's betwixt and, and between two loves. How can he love the hijackers and love the people on the ground and love the people on the airplane? How can he save lives and all the way around? Well, when you have two loves that conflict like that, you have to make a decision sometimes. Now, I don't have time to go into how to do that, but let me suggest a book that will help you with that. It's called Love is Always Right by Josh McDowell and Norm Geisler. They answer that question in that book. You get that book, it'll help you sort all of that out. Now, let me make an application of all this. I brought all that up to make this application. And I hope, it, I hope it motivates us and gives us the big picture. This is a big picture now. So our world that we live on, that we go about and do our daily tasks, is really nothing more than a large spaceship that's flying around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. And it has been hijacked. I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. He's taken it over. He's taken over our spaceship. Not only that, our spaceship is doomed to go up in flames. For, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and melt away. In some ways, we're in a very similar situation to these people on this flight. The people on Flight 93 did as much as they could to physically save the thousands of people in and around the capital. That was love. Let love be genuine, hate evil, cling to the good. They did the right thing, but they had to direct their hearts to do it. Nobody would choose to do what they did. They had to direct their hearts to love. And so, will you do the right thing? Will I do the right thing? People around us are headed for destruction, just like Frank's friends were. 
They're headed for destruction. Will you not get sidetracked into quarrelsome issues that really don't amount to a whole lot? Will you be kind to everyone? Will you teach with your life and your words? Will you patiently endure? Will you drink the cup when you have to, when God brings it to you? Will you choose to direct your heart to do these things that Timothy tells us to? Will you gently correct those who oppose God? I want to close in a different kind of a way. At Flight 93, they have erected a tower they call the Tower of Voices. Putting a picture of it up on the screen here, you can see this 93-foot tower, 93 feet representing Flight 93. And what's inside it are 40 wind chimes, each chime representing the voice of one of those 40 passengers. And when they are moved by the wind, you hear them speak. And what I would like us to do, I'm going to play a 90-second video that I took when I was out there. And while those voices are speaking, I'd like you to hear the voice of God through these voices. They're, they're giving us the big picture. They're showing us a hijacked world, not just a hijacked plane. Let God speak to you about that. And I'd like you to think about three things. First of all, think how those 40 people had to direct their hearts to do what they did. And then secondly, commit to directing your own heart to do what God is telling us to do in these verses. And then thirdly, I'd like you to think, what is my next step? What is the first thing that I need to do to put this into practice? Maybe it's something as simple as praying for a friend or a relative or somebody you work with who doesn't know Christ. As you watch this video, maybe your first step is to commit them to God in prayer. And maybe you even want to come up. The worship team is going to come sing a song. Maybe you want to come up and just extend both your arms at this altar and say, God, I give them to you. Please open a door. Save them. Help them come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe that's your first step. Or maybe, maybe your first step is that God brings to mind a time when you were quarrelsome with somebody and may have blocked God from working, and you simply just need to say, God, I'm sorry. I didn't realize what we were arguing about really wasn't all that important. Maybe that's your commitment. So as you watch the video, let God speak to you through these voices.